We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining me on the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company. And I have a special guest in the studio, Bob Fu. Bob, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ethan, for having me. It's a very uh, honor for me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to have you on the program. I'm a little bit familiar with your story, not all the aspects, but I understand that you uh, grew up in China. You were part of the student leadership movement. Finally, through circumstances which you will share with us, you became a Christian and then finally got caught with your underground church and you were imprisoned for some time, even some torture. Um, and then later you were able to escape and then end up in, in China where you now have a, a mission called China Aid, which helps those who are being persecuted in China and also to advance the cause of religious freedom in China. Yes. Um, I First of all, I also want to thank our faithful partner uh, organization, Voice of the Martyrs Australia, for inviting me to uh, celebrate the 50th anniversary uh, for serving the persecuted church around the globe, including my motherland, China. Amen. And I, yes, I was raised, uh, in a, of course, uh, in China, in a uh, very uh, atheistic uh, educational system. And um, my mother was a beggar, and my father was a disabled man. And uh, so from my childhood, I kind of uh, um, had some deep kind of... Uh, um, uh, sense of uh, change um, uh, in my heart I, because of the poverty um, uh, my family experienced tremendous social injustice and inequality so from my childhood I was uh, studying hard and tried to be a good student um, tried to change the family circumstances so that at least my mother um, was able to receive uh, basic medical treatment. Um, and, you know, so we were very, very um, uh, many times uh, fell um, despaired um, because um, even when my mom was dying, the, the local barefoot doctor would refuse to treat her and um, and is so that I, because of a lack of uh, of funds to pay for the treatment or was it uh, more than that it's uh, more than that uh, usually so if you don't you don't have funding then of course uh, you also have a lower social status and uh, my father's family um, has two um, brothers, uh, his two of his brothers joined the Chinese nationalist uh, uh, military and went to Taiwan. Mm. 
with General Chiang Kai-shi before Chairman Mao took power in 1949. So right. that's itself basically made your whole life miserable. So we have been looked down upon, being bullied. Um, basically, when I was uh, uh, at uh, school, so initially I thought, well, money is the major problem, so I want to change um, uh, my family. I, I, I was dreaming to become a millionaire. Right. And uh, of course, uh, later on, I found in China, under the political system, um, to be a billionaire doesn't guarantee you would be treated with dignity. You know? Understand. Yeah, because the Communist Party can take your life uh, anytime. Mm. So many billionaires and millionaires, you know, in the past 10 years or so had been uh, disappeared, imprisoned, being forced to commit suicide, and uh, some luckily can get exiled um, out of China. And so later on, I found maybe the best way to change my family, change China, is to become a government official. So to use the political means, uh, that's how I uh, uh, was uh, deeply involved in the students' movement in 1989, when the students' uh, uh, protesters started in Beijing. I was um, a sophomore um, in college, I mean, in university. Uh, and um, so I was already uh, kind of a, a feeling that, well, that might be the time for a meaningful change, a real change uh, for a political reform and more democratic um, uh, kind of system. Uh, in China. So I organized the first citywide demonstration in my university area, and then led a group of students uh, to uh, Tiananmen Square in Beijing and occupied part of the square for a few weeks um, until three days before the massacre happened um, in 1989. Um, exactly 30 years ago. That's right, yes. Um, we just uh, commemorating this 30th anniversary, um, uh, of course, uh, in Washington, D.C. and uh, around the globe. So at that time, um, I felt change was on the way. And after all, there are millions of Chinese citizens, uh, you know, workers, intellectuals, lawyers, and even government officials, and uh, people from all walks of life um, uh, walk to the, uh, on the street and demanding uh, freedom, demanding democracy, demanding anti-corruption within the rank and files of the Chinese Communist Party. And uh, even the, uh, the uh, then uh, party secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, Zhao Ziyang, was sympathetic to the students. Mm. And later on, of course, uh, he was ousted um, by force by the hardliners led by the senior leader, Deng Xiaoping. Mm. And um, so that was a, a very tragic uh, incident, uh, massacre that uh, cost uh, hundreds, if not thousands of lives, innocent uh, lives. Um, so, but in my heart, uh, I was uh, always wondering, you know, why our so-called people's government uh, would uh, send 
the so-called People's Liberation Army uh, using machine guns and, and tanks uh, start killing uh, its own uh, armless uh, people. Yes, that doesn't and make any sense, does it? Not at all. So, because after all, our students, leaders, I know uh, firsthand, we thought, you know, we, we are just uh, launching a peaceful protest and uh, we would never expect our own government uh, would uh, using military uh, means to uh, engage a massacre for, for those peaceful protesters. And so I was treated like a criminal and being forced to write confessions, they nice. Um, it was during that time um, the Lord actually found me. Um, again, you know, I was an atheist and turned to turn into a, kind of a humanist. And then um, really at my most uh, desperate and disillusioned time, um, when I was uh, really um, searching for a way uh, to die, uh, because uh, I did not know there is uh, any way out for me. Right. I might, might be imprisoned. Um, and some of my fellow comrades uh, in the students' moment uh, were already imprisoned. Um, and so I did not know there is any brighter future uh, for a countryside uh, boy. And uh, I would rather die than being sent back to my hometown uh, village uh, because uh, mo many, uh, if not all, my villagers, my uh, the citizens in my whole t county may not have a, a better future because of me as a political um, criminal. Mm. And so it was during that uh, time um, I was handed over with a booklet. It was a biography of a Chinese pastor in 19, around 1900, uh, when um, he was uh, really dying of uh, uh, opium uh, addiction. Uh, at the same time, uh, the Hudson Taylor, uh, you know, the China Inland Mission Group, yes. sent missionaries there and shared the gospel with him. So that uh, book was uh, smuggled in by my American English teachers um, from Hong Kong, um, who were, I mean, they were underground, of course, uh, kind of uh, uh, Christian missionaries, um, mm. but teaching English uh, to our students. And uh, that book basically uh, totally changed my life. And so after reading that book, I became a follower of Jesus Christ as a new creation in Jesus Christ and Amen. Uh, for his uh, kingdom. So that was uh, around what year? Was that shortly after that the Tiananmen uh, Square massacre? Exactly the same year, 1989. The later that year, I was converted uh, to Christian faith. And uh, then, really, um, I found the whole world changed after that conversion. And uh, I found even the birds start singing to me and um, felt, wow, you know, this there is a transformation. And I felt suddenly uh, unspeakable joy and compassion, even for those uh, who betrayed me, uh, that I used to be full of hatred toward them. And I felt, you know, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. So we um, started just sharing the gospel 
to anyone that uh, I can meet, and the, the spiritual revival started from that university. So this, uh, so you're still at the university as a student, and uh, you're sharing the gospel now as you're able. Did you join the official church, the Three South Patriotic Movement, or did you start an underground church? How did it, how did it work? During that time, I honestly did not know anything about the Communist Party's religious policy or forbidding to share the gospel with uh, anybody uh, in college or under 18 years old. Uh, these restrictions, I did not know. I was just uh, from a very pure um, kind of a love for the, the gospel, the Lord. Uh, I just uh, you know, did not go to uh, any church. Uh, but um, because our American um, teachers, uh, remember, they were kind of our Bible study leaders. Uh, later on, I was uh, um, being interrogated again by the security agents and warning me that, uh, oh, you know, you can't share this uh, superstitious message uh, to the successors of communism. Uh, in that which means the university students. Right. So, so they became aware of your they became aware of your um, gospel work amongst the yes. other students. Okay. That was the first time I came to realize, uh, you know, the Communist Party actually has a very hostile religious policy uh, toward evangelism, and uh, so we kind of started our underground Bible study group first. Uh, later on, uh, I continued my graduate school in Beijing. Uh, we started an uh, uh, underground church among the university uh, students um, in Beijing. And, uh, and then um, I got a job teaching English in the Communist Party school to the Communist Party leaders uh, during the daytime. And in the evening, I was a very busy underground church pastor. Uh, basically ministering to those students and professors. And later on, we even uh, established the underground Bible school in the suburb of Beijing, uh, which led uh, to the arrest of uh, me and my wife. That's, uh, that happened in, in May 1996. Wow. So uh, as far as that was concerned, where did you get your materials from? Did you have ready access to the Bible uh, as you were you know, starting to become a pastor now and preaching and uh, leading other people to Christ and even uh, teaching other pastors? Not really. Uh, uh, actually, the first uh, Christmas Eve after I moved to Beijing uh, in 1991, I uh, organized a gospel uh, event uh, with a group of uh, uh, Christian students in my university in a government-sanctioned church. Uh, we uh, got some gospel tracts um, smuggled in, uh, in from Hong Kong by some uh, missionaries. And uh, so we uh, started uh, distributing the gospel tracts um, on that uh, Christmas Eve. Usually, you know, the local uh, government-sanctioned church was packed uh, with uh, you know a lot of uh, non-believers, and um, but the next day, on Christmas Day, I was detained in the university uh, oh. by the security. Um, so I got a one-day uh, interrogation, and um, several of my classmates were also detained and interrogated, uh, but we were not imprisoned um, until 1996. 
Okay, so perhaps you can tell us just what happened in 1996 because you're married at this stage. Yes, uh, my wife and I uh, were married already in, in, in 1993. And, uh, but, you know, uh, under the Chinese Communist family planning policy, uh, especially those uh, who are working in the government sector, um, uh, even the first child um, uh, before you know you can get pregnant, uh, you have to get a quota uh, from the government before you can get a pregnant uh, oh, so pregnancy. You, you need permission from the government first before you can become pregnant. Yes. Wow. You have to have a, a pregnancy permission card. Uh, we call it yellow card. And um, because, without that, you can't really even get a legal pregnancy. Um, and if you are caught without um, uh, the card or permit, then you would be uh, uh, um, engaged. Uh, I mean, you would be forced to have forced abortion wow. um, in the hospital. So that um, was um, uh, happening um, kind of uh, to my wife. I mean, I witnessed, of course, many other, even Christian ladies who uh, are owners who were caught and uh, being dragged to the hospital, uh, family planning clinic, and uh, being uh, and, uh, and being tortured, and then with uh, two doses uh, of uh, poison uh, injected into the stomach and, uh, and into the womb and kill the babies. Well, that's terrible. Uh, it was terrible. So after two months, uh, I mean, Heidi and I, you know, were married for three years. We couldn't get a quota, uh, primarily because the party school um, had um, many other uh, kind of staff were waiting. The, the newly, you know, the wedding newly wed staff were waiting for quota, and also my wife uh, was a, a graduate school student. Um, uh, and um, so that put us in a disadvantage to get a quota. And so no matter how old are you, so you, you still have to wait. Um, so, but um, after we were released from prison, um, so Heidi uh, was pregnant and uh, of course without quota and we were warned um, that uh, if she's caught, she would be um, under forced abortion and then we also learned we are we were on the re-arrest list uh, so that's why we escaped from Beijing and hiding in the countryside uh, first uh, in order to do a basic uh, medical check for our first baby uh, until we were able to escape uh, out of China miraculously uh, later uh, 1996 to Hong Kong. Right. Okay. So you, you were able to escape somewhere after hiding in the countryside for quite some time, uh, concerned about what will happen to you, your wife. And uh, what happened when you were in, um, in Hong Kong? Because you escaped to Hong Kong. Yeah. At that time, Hong Kong was not uh, turned over to China yet. Um, so some missionaries were hiding um, ours in their apartment. And then later on, um, because no country... Uh, was willing to accept us as refugees. Um, we were uh, just uh, kind of, uh, you know, count down the clock toward the um, handover to China in 1997. Yes. 
and our first uh, uh, child, uh, Daniel, was born in Hong Kong as a refugee without citizenship of any country. Hmm. And um, but really, God uh, God shows His faithfulness, and uh, and a miracle did happen. Uh, literally, you know, three days before uh, Hong Kong was turned over to China, the last working day of the old Hong Kong, I mean, British government. Uh, on Friday, we were put on a, a United Airlines flight um, that night and uh, accepted to the U.S. as refugees. Wow! And, uh, finally, landed on the f- land of freedom. That is really cutting it fine. But we praise God that you were able to leave uh, within a matter of a day or so before um, Hong Kong was handed over to to the Chinese uh, government. It is indeed a miracle. I mean, look at uh, what's uh, involving in Hong Kong. I mean, this past weekend, how many, you know, over a million Hong Kongese took to the street. Yes. Uh, that uh, this, uh, there is no one country, two systems anymore. It's one country, one system, already a communist system. Yes. It's imposing. Yeah, no, that's, that's terrible. I wonder if we can just step back a little bit. Uh, when you were discovered... Uh, that you were running an underground church in May 1996. Uh, what happened to you and your wife at that time? Well, I was, uh, again, teaching uh, English in the Communist Party school. So in May, uh, I think it's May the 9th uh, or so, or, or 7th, we, after finishing uh, my session of my class, uh, I mean, finishing teaching, and um, then the public security uh, officer from the Communist Party school um, basically uh, called me and said, oh, the state security agents uh, wants to talk with you, uh, come to the office. So Heidi and I just uh, nailed down a parade and we thought, well, um, uh, the, the time to take a prison theology course uh, is uh, is now, and we have been preparing for that moment. Okay, so and, you, you uh, call it the prison theology course, do you? Yes, uh, because uh, in China, you know, among the house church leaders, uh, the independent underground church leaders, we have a famous saying that if you want to be a faithful uh, servant of the Lord um, uh, in China, the first theological uh, course you have to take, not selectively uh, or electively, is called a prison theology. Uh, and uh, to follow the examples of Paul and Peter and, of course, all the apostles and uh, early church history. Understand. And many, you know, in the global persecuted church. Um, so that, that's what we call it. Mm. So you count the cost when you become a Christian or you become a preacher. You know that these are all possibilities. But obviously you believe that the love for God and faithfulness to him, uh, that heaven is cheap enough. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's uh, the uh, privilege, you know, to identify with our Lord um, through this. I mean, there is no shortcut. Uh, so that's uh, to to have the uh, privilege to suffer with Christ um, uh, and um, really uh, follow the, the what we call the path of the cross, um, you know, um, before victory, before... Uh, the um, triumph, uh, you always uh, need to uh, uh, taste the road of uh, Golgotha, um, the path of uh, the cross, um, I mean, the suffering. Uh, after all, it is a promise uh, that um, if anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
he's uh, or she shall be persecuted. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's no uh, like a short uh, cut. Yeah, true. So you spent uh, at least two months in prison. Uh, yes. You get interrogated there. Um, are you treated reasonably well while you're in prison? Um, not, uh, you know, in the communist uh, prison, I was not that nice. Uh, the first uh, three days nice. Uh, there's, there's nonstop, uh, 24 hour, uh, uh, interrogation by three, uh, different uh, groups of interrogators. Uh, they smoke on you. They, uh, they uh, beat you, they knock your head, they kick you, um, kind of, uh, you know, it was tough. Um, yes, and, and you sleep deprived for the for all those three days while you were being interrogated. No sleep is allowed. Yeah, mm. um, they they took turn basically uh, round the clock interrogation, and when I could not hold uh, by sitting on that small stool, and then they started beating me, and uh, woke woke me up. Um, so that was, uh, but I think. The Lord uh, has sufficient grace uh, to sustain me, and uh, especially after I was thrown into the prison cell with other prisoners living together, uh, I found uh, the Lord has a mission for me. And um, I, by the end of uh, the second month before I was released, um, every uh, inmate in my prison cell uh, treated me as their personal private counselors already. Wow, and God. Uh, they all heard the gospel. They are really um, rejoicing. Mm. So you, 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 you get the opportunity to share the gospel in prison. And then, of course, we've now got through to you. You are able to be taken up as refugees and you go to the U.S. Since you've been in the U.S., just in the last minute or so we have left, uh, you've set up an organization called China Aid. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes. Uh, so after we were exiled to the U.S., uh, we just uh, um, really felt compelled to uh, uh, to speak uh, for those uh, voiceless as a voice. So uh, to walk with the persecuted uh, uh, faithful. So the mission of China Aid is uh, to uh, expose the abuses of the persecution, to encourage the abuse, and to equip the leaders. And our main uh, goal of the mission is uh, to advance religious freedom and the rule of law for all in China. And uh, we um, basically um, raise the voice for those voiceless brothers and sisters. Um, last year alone, you know, over 100,000 Christians were detained. Um, and uh, 50,000 were tortured and abused. Um, that was uh, only in 2018, wow. according to our own documentation. Mm. Now, if people want to know more about your story, there's a book written called God's Double Agent, the story of Bob Fu. And they can get access to that through, I think, even the Voice of the Martyrs website. And then also, if they want to know more about China Aid and want to get involved, I think your website is chinaaid.org. Is that right? Yes, chinaaid.org.org. Yeah. And Bob, we just want to thank you. We've run out of time. We want to thank you for your time and just sharing your testimony. We also want to thank Voice of the Martyrs for making this available to us. And dear listener, if you want more information, just grab our contact details, which we will share with you, and we'll be able to steer you in the right direction. So thank you for joining us today, Bob. It's been a pleasure having you on the program. My pleasure, Ethan. Thank you. Yeah. And dear listener, thank you for joining us again today. We look forward to catching up with you next time. God bless.
thank you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.